followers, all of us got words right that somebody can say them and immediately we feel guilty. Right? That, that somebody says a word or a phrase and, and straight away you got that feeling in the pit of your stomach. You know, internet, internet search history. Bad parent. Calorie intake. Criminal record. Credit history. And then you get to really important ones, right? Wedding anniversary. <laughs> when did you last put the bin out? Well, I've got a mate who says that it, those guilt words he calls them for Christians are easy. Prayer and evangelism, right? How's you doing with your prayer life? How are you doing reaching out with the gospel? And immediately we all kind of feel guilty, right? Now, I reckon there's a lot more words that should make a lot of Christians feel guilty. But Dan and Nathan and Mez are going to talk about them later, so we'll spend less time on them. But prayer's definitely one, right? We know we should. We know we must. But it's so hard. It's perhaps so inconvenient. It seems so pointless so often. And, and for those of us who are a bit neuroatypical, which I'm going to realise is most pastors, it's just so hard, right, to shut your brain off and concentrate. And it just seems so easy for everybody else. All the preachers, that get up and preach sermons about it. It just seems like a guilt trip. It's so easy for them. What's the point? But at the same time, right, we'd love to be better. We'd love to know the joy of prayer that people talk about. We'd like to be like Paul here in verse 9, not stopping, continually asking for God's people. And then, as we think about the task before us, of reaching like the forgotten communities of our nation with the gospel of partnering together through Meadows to, to resource and revitalise and uh, plant churches and see people saved in places we've forgotten about that nobody's interested in. We look at that task and we know we've got a prayer because we just know it's beyond us. We can't uh, do it. And so uh, what we're going to do this morning is hopefully not just like guilt trip everybody. But we're just going to look at this passage and think about what should we be praying for, for one another and ourselves? And how do we motivate ourselves to pray? How do we keep going in prayer? What's Paul praying here for the Colossians? What does that say about our prayers? So hopefully without being a guilt trip, just two things this morning. Here's the first one. Paul's praying and he says, come back to what you know. For those of you, Britpop night is, yes, it's an embrace song. Do you remember that uh, film, Wreck-It Ralph? You know, the little cartoon character, and he just likes to smash stuff, and he's got one remedy for everything, hasn't it? Right? It's like, I'm going to punch it in the face. Whatever the problem, like the computer's broken, punch it in the face. Somebody's annoying, punch him in the face. It's the same uh, remedy for everything, and he gets him into trouble, but do you know what? He's right like the Apostle Paul. Because whatever spiritual problem, you read all of Paul's letters, what's his remedy for whatever spiritual problem they've got? He's just going to come and punch you in the face with the gospel, right? He just comes and says, it's the gospel, dummy. You've forgotten uh, the gospel. He's constantly bringing the Lord's people back to the center, back to the cross, back to dependence 
on Jesus. And here as he starts this letter to these Colossians who are tempted to look away from Jesus to other stuff, he's giving thanks, look in verses 3 to 8, for the work the Lord has already done in them through the gospel. And then he's going on in verses 9 to 14 to pray for them and remind them to keep going in that same gospel. It's summed up, uh, the whole of Colossians is summed up, but this prayer is summed up in chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Paul's saying, he's saying, thank the Lord that you were saved through this gospel and please, Lord, keep them rooted and grounded and keep them going in the same gospel of Jesus. Look at what he's giving thanks for. Look there, verse 5. He's giving thanks for the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up from in heaven. What is that hope? He tells us in verse 1, uh, chapter 1 and verse 27. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. That knowing uh, Jesus that came to them through the gospel as Epaphras came to them and preached to them. And as Epaphras preached the gospel, look, the Spirit, verse 4, gave them faith and love. Faith in Jesus, which by God's grace has borne fruit in their lives in making them love one another. And that gospel... He wants to encourage them and thank God for, verse five, uh, verse six, sorry, it is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. And all of that, verse eight, look, is because the Spirit has been at work in their lives and they've come to know the grace of God, verse six. He says, look, you didn't come into the kingdom of God by clever words or brilliant sermons or being awesome. You came in because your faith is rooted and established and solid in Jesus. And Paul's prayer therefore, verses 9 to 14, Paul's prayer for this church, this little church plant in Turkey, is that they wouldn't depart from that gospel. But they'd continue to keep their confidence, their hope, and faith in Jesus and his gospel. We have a saying in our church, we have lots of them. Uh, so all the Spen Valley Church members are going to roll their eyes now. But here's what we say. If Jesus is our way to life, he must always be our way, also be our way of life. If Jesus is our way to life, he must also be our way of life. And that's what Paul's praying for him. The whole of Colossians is like that girlfriend meme. You know that one, there's a bloke walking down the street with his girlfriend and like he's looking back at another lass and she's like, get your head back here. Give him a slap. That's what Paul's doing. He's saying, give him a slap. Don't look at other stuff. Get your eyes rooted on Jesus. Look at what he's praying for there. Verse 9 and 10. Since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. What's he asking? To fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. And then look at the verse, end of verse 10, that they might be growing in the knowledge of God. 
What does he want them to do by the Spirit's power? They might see the glory of the Father in the face of Jesus Christ. They might know the Lord and his will better. And out of that knowledge, look verse 10 and 11, that they might live lives and bear fruit and be strengthened to persevere in living lives worthy of the Lord. And that that fruit might come out of the life giving reality of the gospel. Look at verses 12 to 14. Giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You were in darkness, you were dead in your sins and transgressions, and the Lord has made you alive, brought you into the kingdom of light. And so he's praying that the Lord it might work that out in them in lives that shine and reflect the light of Jesus into the world, right? That that gospel might shine out. That's Paul's prayer for the Colossians. But here we are thinking about planting and resourcing and partnering together to resource churches and, and plant churches in forgotten communities. We've got to ask the question, what's the number one prayer need of churches in deprived and forgotten communities in our nation? If you're like a kid with a Christmas list, you know when you used to sit down with the Argos catalogue? Like you never asked for like a £2.50 stapler, did you? It was always like a PlayStation or something. If we knew the Lord would answer yes right now, what would we ask for each of our churches? Like we all know the holy answer, right? We all know the right answer. It's what Paul prays for here, that we might know the Father in Jesus by the Spirit's power, that we might know him ever more closely, that we might be plugged so much into the life of the vine who is Jesus, that we might bear fruit in transformed, radical, gospel living and loving that declares to the world that Jesus is Lord. It's not rocking science, is it? It's what Paul says here, continue as you began. Is that what your prayer meetings are like? Because often our prayer requests and our prayers for one another, our prayers in our own heart reveal our priorities. What we really think we need. What we really need is more people. We need more partners. We need community engagement. We need uh, members who aren't completely nuts. We need finance grants. We need magical gospel opportunities that we don't have to do any work. People just fall in front of us asking what we must be do to be saved. We need better sermons. Let's face it, both members and pastors pray for those. <laughs> Look, they're all good prayers. We need to pray for those. But without this prayer, they're like that advert that I saw the other week for Burger King vegan chicken nuggets. <laughs> like there's a lie somewhere in there, right? Because <laughs> they're either chicken or they're just lumps of kale in butter-free breadcrumbs. <laughs> and I know which I'd rather eat. But any of those things, any of those gospel opportunities without a heart and a passion for the gospel and Jesus, pointless. You've so stripped them of what they are that they're not it anymore. Maybe you're a church planter. 
Maybe a, a church member, pastor, a small church in a forgotten community. Just ask yourself those questions. How much of uh, my individual, how much of our corporate prayer really is that, that, that us and the rest of the team might be constantly treasuring Jesus and bearing fruit and growing more like him? How much of it is that we might persevere in just plodding on, trusting Jesus faithfully? Putting sin to death, loving his people, declaring that gospel to others. How much that we might really enjoy the grace of God. Give thankful, heartful, uh, heartfelt praise to him. That the spirit might be at work giving us soft hearts of compassion to others that we might love and serve them as we love and serve Jesus and his kingdom. It's why if you're here from a, a partner or supporting church this morning, we need you to be praying this prayer for us. Primarily. Because it's so easy to forget what we really need. It's true in any church, that, isn't it? But perhaps in our communities and in our, lots of our tiny little churches, uh, the needs are sometimes just that bit more obvious and in your face. We're so tempted to think we need Jesus plus, right? Jesus plus some loaded backers, please. Jesus plus some members with social work qualifications. Jesus plus someone who can play the guitar properly. Jesus plus just one member, just one member who doesn't have a mental health diagnosis. One member who doesn't have a drug addiction. Or if you're in our church, just one member who doesn't have a gluten intolerance. <laughs> just one, Lord. When what we really need is just Jesus. We need that joy in his gospel. We need that unshakable hope that he will hold us fast. That spirit-empowered courage. To love one another beyond our limits because he has first loved us. And we're more of a scumbag than anybody we live with. That unshakable confidence that if the Father could and would save us, then he can save anyone. That complete dependence on Jesus' life and death and resurrection because we're sinners going to hell and only because he's lived the perfect life and died in our place can we know the Father as our Father. We need to know intimately that power of the Spirit to enable us to glorify our Lord and Saviour. That's Paul's prayer, right? That they might know that more and more and live it out more and more as they're empowered by the Spirit. But if we want to know that gospel, we've got to pray that prayer, right? And if we want to live it out together, if we want to share it with hellbound people in our communities... Then the second thing we need to do is keep on depending. Now, I am the least handy person I've literally... No, no. perhaps there's one or two. One guy tried to put up an Ikea cupboard with a knife. But apart from that, I'm one of the least handy people I ever know. You can go to any one of the houses we lived in, and next to all the curtain rail hooks, there's like holes where I've tried to drill the holes and it's gone wrong. But why is it in every house? Because I refuse to just give in and ring my dad who could do it in five minutes. Because I'm, I'm an adult, I should be able to do this, I'm a grown man. 
But over the years, I've learned it's cheaper, more cost-effective, and easier on the ear if I just ring my dad in the first place. Because <laughs> my mother will tell me that I should have rung my dad in the first place. I've had to get over my pride and my stubbornness to learn in this. Why not be dependent, right? That's Paul's prayer here in these verses. He's focused on the fact that for everything they do, everything they need, everything that matters, they are completely and utterly dependent on the Father's work in Jesus by the Spirit's power. The Lord accomplishes everything in these verses. Look at it, verse 3. Uh, it's the Father who he thanks, right? He's the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has given them, verse 4, the faith and the love, that faith in Jesus. He's accomplished that salvation through the finished work of Jesus. They've not done it. Five and, uh, verses 5 and 6, look, the gospel has borne uh, fruit in their lives, has given them hope, and it's bearing fruit and growing through the whole world. Why, verse 6, because it's as we come to know God's grace. And that faith and love they have, Paul reminds them in verse 8, is given to them by the Spirit. And if they're to continue in living out this gospel, loving Jesus, loving his people, serving his kingdom, look at what they need, verse 9. We continually ask your pastor to fill you, your woman's worker, your fellow church members. No, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. It's not, it's the biggest life lesson ever, right? It's not about you. It's the Lord, verses 10 and 11, who's going to enable them to live a life worthy of the Lord and to please Him. A life lived by the Lord's power in the Lord's gospel to glorify His name. And they're only able to think about living that life because the Lord has brought them out of the darkness and death they were in into the life and light. Of Jesus. He's done it. Just read through the verses afresh uh, later on and just look at all the times Paul said, The Lord has done this. The Lord has done this. The Lord has done this. There's some people who don't believe in the sovereignty of God. Sorry, I'm going to upset you. You've not read the Bible, it's just there. We need the Lord for everything. It's even in those verses Matthew read us at the beginning, right? As Paul says, Pray that a door might be opened for me. Now, I think Paul was like some other people we know, like, didn't wait for doors to be opened. He just kicked them in and told people the gospel. But he still needed people's hearts to be opened. Right? Acts 16, as he goes to Philippi, the Lord opened Lydia's heart to understand everything he was talking about. We need the Lord to work. You know, as, as church planters, 
uh, as members of uh, church plants uh, and young churches, or even perhaps we've been doing it for a while, perhaps we look back, you're like me, you look back to when you started, and you think, flipping heck, I was idealistic, naive, optimistic, clueless. You know, I just thought the Lord was going to magically provide for all my needs. And do you know what that meant? Nothing would ever go wrong. All the church members would love me. All the money, that definitely didn't happen. (laughs) All the money would pour in. People would be flocking to hear the gospel. Like, we probably were idealistic and naive and clueless, right? But here's the thing. Maybe over the years, as we've learned to play the game more, we've unintentionally started to act and maybe even believe that it depends on us playing the game right. It's all about the next grant application. It's all about the next banging sermon. It's all about the next gospel pitch at the people you feel guilty at for not sharing the gospel with enough. It's always the next meeting with the potential new workers, the next fake smile to convince uh, potential partner churches that you're not mental, really. You've not lost the will to live. We're not meant to bear that, right? It's why, and Dan's not going to talk to me now, it's why Gareth Bale is injured all the time, right? One man was not meant to carry an entire nation on his back all the time. We're not built to carry that weight. We were never supposed to. Look, the Lord knows we need workers and members and salvations. We need partners. We need more money. Paul knows that. If you're from a a bigger supporter church, either here uh, today or watching uh, online, go read uh, chapter 4, verse 7 and following. See how sacrificially Paul gives to church plants. And get your finger out. (laughs) In love. Like the Lord knows we need that. And we want to avoid, right, the error of just sitting around praying and never actually getting out there into people's lives. But I think sometimes we took the baby out with the bathwater. Because what Paul's reminding us here in this prayer is that our loving Heavenly Father loves to answer all that we ask in Jesus' name. He will provide for every single one of our needs in Christ Jesus through the power of His Spirit. It's why throughout this passage we've got all this language of fruit, isn't it? And bearing fruit and growth. What, just one of the things Paul's pointing back to there is Jesus in John 15. Do you remember what Jesus says in John 15? I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do naught. For you southerners, that's nothing. <laughs> Literally nothing. We bear growth as we're plugged into Jesus. But do you know what? It's probably your heart, it's definitely my heart. Often those obstacles seem too big for that. They seem beyond us. We can't do it. But it's because they're meant to be. We're not meant to be able to fight that fight on our own. We're supposed to depend on the Father who works out his will in Jesus by the uh, power of his spirit. Here's how I've recently started to think about this to get my head around it. 
As with anything, it either comes down to football or boxing. We've done football, let's do boxing. Imagine, right? Imagine uh, somebody asked me to get in a ring with Josh Warrington. Lots of you don't know who he is, don't worry. He's uh, the featherweight champion of the world. Right, he's about two foot six, two stone dripping wet. But he's a little angry man with a Yorkshire accent. And this one's from Leeds and punches people in the face for a living. Now, I'll be honest, I've met one or two of them in my time. I don't want to repeat the experience. I am not getting in that ring. You could offer me the biggest belt in the world, all the money in the world. I'm not getting in there. He's going to beat me up. But then imagine the same guy comes and says, look who's getting in the ring with you, before you. And all six foot nine and 18 stone, Tyson Fury climbs through that ropes and he puts Josh Warrington flat on his back, spark out. I get in the ring. I win the belt. But we forget, right? Because Josh Warrington looks like massive. Don't get me wrong, Josh Warrington's not the devil. He is from Leeds, but it's not quite there. But he's only a little guy. The Lord is sovereign and mighty and reigns over everything. Once he's got in the ring for you and knocked everything spark out, I'll walk around behind him. I'll enjoy the blessings of his work. If we want to see churches resourced, resourced and planted and thrive and grow in the forgotten places and the deprived places of the UK, we've got to get back to that confidence that we can and we must be totally dependent on the Lord for every single thing and therefore we've got to pray. And we can pray. Maybe you're a member of a church plant in a forgotten area. Maybe you're a planter. Perhaps you're despairing at the shortage of workers and finances. Perhaps you're raging at the lack of help of other churches. Perhaps you're overwhelmed with the task ahead of you. Preaching to myself as much as anybody in the room, perhaps some of that rage time could be better spent on your knees. Asking the Lord to give us contentment that he has given us everything we need. <laughs> to know that he has blessed us and will continue to provide for all our needs. Ask him to give us courage to just faithfully serve his kingdom and grow in his wisdom and knowledge. And then, just as Paul tells these Colossians in chapter 3, verse 1 and following, get on by his grace in living Jesus-focused, spirit-empowered lives of love and sacrifice that demonstrate to our communities the truth and power of the gospel. Let me just talk to church planters, maybe gospel workers as well. This morning, sometimes... We're good at moaning, right, church planters? But sometimes it is hard. Perhaps we're frustrated at the lack of progress. You know, we're trying to build a team. We're trying to help people grow spiritually. We're trying to get an engagement among the folk in the town or the estate. There's a growing realisation that you really are the biggest loser of the lot. You're just not up to this. And you're just so tired. Trying to raise funds. Trying to disciple folk. 
trying to reach out with the gospel, trying to find new prayer, uh, prayer partners, trying to write prayer letters to the ones you've got, trying to attack new workers, trying to deal with the crazies in the church and around you already. Paul's prayer here for us this morning is we would get afresh. You are not the Messiah. There's only one of him. Depend on him. Perhaps if we spent a bit less time crafting the most super, super awesomest uh, Bible study, sermon or evangelistic talk ever, and more time on our knees praying that the Lord would use our bang average one, we might be able to continue a bit longer. Stop depending on yourself, you're a loser. You're not going to win. And don't think, even... Uh, Though we never say this intellectually, don't put your faith in other stuff to help you, right? It's awesome uh, looking around this weekend, isn't it? Some of this started off in one bloke's brain because he was probably trying to avoid the work he should have been doing. Let's face it. <laughs> to this, to God willing down the line, we're going to see churches planted and people saved, right? It's awesome. Meadows Ministries is awesome. 20 Schemes is awesome. Church and House Places is awesome. But, and here's perhaps the most obvious thing anyone's ever said in the pulpit. Ian Williamson is not Jesus. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Hallelujah, right? <laughs> After Rachel. <laughs> Meadows Ministries don't own the cattle on a thousand hills. Believe me, I've seen the bank balance. A flash vision plan will never save a single person from hell. A rich American partner church will not bring anybody safely home. They're all good, right? They're all good. But Jesus is Lord. Bring your frustrations. Church planter, bring your heartache, your brutal incomprehension about what to do. Bring your needs to the one who promises that his father will answer everything that we ask in his name. Run to him with your failures and your desperation. Ask him to change people's hearts and homes and wallets. And then in confident dependence on the one who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people. Get on with proclaiming the one Paul talks about in the verses after our passage. The one who is the image of the invisible God. The one who does have the supremacy. The one who will unite and bring all things to himself. Maybe if you're thinking about partnering or supporting with Meadows Ministries or, or, or one of our churches. I mean, it's simple. We just want money and people, right? So, ta. No, pray for us, right? Please, pray for us. That we wouldn't lose heart. That we'd keep trusting. That we'd keep dependent on the Lord. Pray that other churches would have, other churches would have the same heart as you. The same heart as Paul has in chapter 4 as he's sending them workers that he can't afford to give away. Pray that the Lord might be moving the hearts of the people, even within your church, perhaps even you, 
to come help us. Pray that the Lord might be moving the heart of elders and treasurers in your church and others to maybe be a bit more dependent on the Lord and give away a chunk of that reserve sitting in the bank. Pray that gospel workers wouldn't be scared off by the challenges of our communities or the challenges of our small churches, but dependent on the Lord, they will come and serve for his glory. Pray that the Spirit ultimately might open the eyes of the blind, that Jesus might build his church and present, as Paul says his mission is, in chapter 128, to present everyone mature in Christ. We, uh, in our church, pray Matthew 9 prayers, right? It's based around uh, Matthew 9, 38, mostly. You know, ask the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers into his harvest field. Every church plant prays it, right? We need more people. But as we were thinking about how we were going to pray that, we were thinking about Colossians and a few other uh, passages, and as we looked at Matthew 9, we saw that that prayer of Jesus comes out of his soft heart of compassion for the people who are harassed and helpless who like sheep without a shepherd. And the people who prayed for more workers in Matthew 9, the disciples, right? What does Jesus do in Matthew 10? He says, right, you've prayed for more workers, they're not here yet, get on and do the work yourself. Dependent on Jesus. Look, folks, if we're serving, we're seeking to live eh, rooted in this gospel, eh, dependent on our Father. We can't sit around and wait for the cavalry to come. They ain't coming. Let's face it, most of the cavalry in the, uh, in the old films are American, right? And they're late to every war. <laughs> we love you, our American brothers and sisters. Cavalry aren't coming, but Jesus already has. And he has lived and died and risen again that we might just get on with the work he's given us. Knowing that he's coming again and he will return and he will bring his people home to glory, all of them. I've said this before to some of you, but maybe in, in our town, on your estate, nobody will get saved while you're still alive. Maybe. Please, please God, not. But then maybe one day you sat there in heaven and I hear a Yorkshire voice come down the streets of heaven. There won't be many of them, will there? And they say, yeah, I was born in Cleckheaton 200 years after you died. And because of that church that you, by God's grace, faithfully planted, we heard the gospel 200 years later and we're going to spend eternity together, brother, celebrating. That'd be enough, right? That'd be enough. Only as we faithfully live out the gospel, dependent on Jesus, looking to bring glory and honour to his name by the power of his spirit, will any of this happen. You and I are not enough. But Jesus is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you that we have this awesome gift of prayer. That we can come to you knowing that you have adopted us into your family, made us one with Jesus, and given us your spirit to empower us. Father, we pray 
that you would transform our hearts. Give us those soft hearts of compassion. That we might look on one another and on the people around us going to hell as Jesus did. As harassed and helpless, lost sheep without a shepherd. Give us grace to get on and do the work that you have given us. Faithfully seeking to proclaim Jesus. Dependent on him. Father, Jesus builds his church, not us. Would you do that by your spirit's power, we pray, through us. In Jesus' name, amen.